Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mott. Welcome in to College Soccer Nation. My name is Matt Motley. We've got a great show. One of, I think, we finally hit an all-timer um, this week. Certainly excited uh, for this one. Let me bring in my co-host, our co-host on College Soccer Nation, Chris Petroselli from SMU. Chris, how are you tonight? Good, Matt. Really excited for this one. Um, we've got uh, the interview with the GOAT. The GOAT. Yeah. Yep. That should be uh, quite quite enjoyable as we have Anson Dorrance on the legendary head coach at North Carolina. We got, I've got a lot of questions for him. I'm anxious to talk to him. I think anybody that's ever listened to him, he's a great interview. Um, he's a great speaker and uh, it'll be certainly fun to talk to him and maybe rehash some of your old games with him. Right. Uh, so yeah. you guys battling and battling back in your Notre Dame days. And he's obviously still rolling and, and we'll get into a lot of, I think, good topics with him. That's great respect for him and what he's done and what he continues to do. That's, that's absolutely he continues to win at a, at a really, really high level. Oh, that's great. Um, exciting day. It's Monday, April 5th. Chris, you know what that is? The day after Easter? No, well, it is, but it's also okay, my that's... anniversary of 24 oh, years. Oh, yes. Happy yes, anniversary. 24 years. You believe that Jennifer stayed with me for 24 years? It's shocking. It is shocking. I mean, she is the saint of all saints. Oh, well, I think she's got it pretty good myself. I think she's very <laughs> lucky. Very, very lucky to be married to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, question time. Well, look, Power 5 is uh, we're a day late, but we went with uh, top five Easter candies. Okay. We'll see what that looks like. Um, so, but I'm into questions. We got questions already. I got a bunch of que- questions. This question segment's flying. Okay, yeah. ready yeah. for the first one? You ready? Okay. Oh, I'm I'm reading it. No, I'm giving you the question. They're asking you the question. Oh, okay. okay, okay, okay. Here we go. All right. What's the most gruesome injury you have seen recruiting? Um, it was uh, I was at a practice training session in Chicago. And um, it was really cold. <laughs> and the ball came off the field and Matt stuck his foot out. Um, I don't think that's what we're looking for. Scream like a little girl. There were two fields going on. Both of them stopped to look at Matt jumping up and down to talk about how bad his foot hurt because his foot was frostbite. And then you know, got hit by the ball. So that was, to be fair, to be fair, that really did hurt, but it was like, it was like 20 degrees freezing out. We're freezing. And the ball ricocheted off him and the foot is awful. But I don't think that's what this listener was looking for, but that's a good one. That was a good one. All right. You ready for the next question? Yeah. In your younger days as a coach, what's something or some mistake you made that you've learned from and wouldn't make now? Um, probably some, something to the effect of really, uh, um, hammering my team maybe at halftime, you know, um, or, or, or probably more, more post-game like now I won't do it uh, post-game. I barely talk to my team post-game. 
um, because I want a chance to go back and look at the film and, and give some time for it to settle down, the emotion to settle down. But as a younger coach, that's not certainly not the way, the way it worked for me. Um, And, and that was something I wish I, I hadn't, I hadn't done, but honestly, I just didn't know the difference. Yeah, I would answer it this way, Chris. I would say, for me, I would say, I, as a younger coach, you know, you always, everyone always struggles with confrontation, right? So, uh, as a young coach, you struggle with confrontation, being able to tell a player what what really is going on and what's really true. So, I think early in my days, I might say, somebody's coming and says, well, what do I, what do I got to do to play? And I'd say, okay, you know, just work on that left foot. You get your left foot better, you're going to play. And that probably wasn't honest or fair. The honest answer was, you're not going to play because you're not athletic enough. You have to get faster, right? Or something like that that's much more difficult to fix. Sure. And so now as I'm older and uh, coaching longer, I, I'm okay having that conversation because we're being honest with the player. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you're being honest, and I think that's the only way you can you can go. So that's a good question. That is a good question. And a good answer, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I got one more. You want another one? Sure. This one's not very fun. What's the one loss you remember that ripped your heart out? That comes from Phil from Mississippi. Um, I think there's probably two. There's two for me. Um, one was uh, in the 94 championship game against North Carolina. Against Did you say, is, is that anything to do with, uh, yeah. with Anson? Both, of, both <laughs> of them have something to do with Anson. Um, you know, in, in that game, first time we made a national championship, and uh, they beat us five nothing, and and it wasn't that close. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. That close. Uh, and then uh, coming back the next year and winning, then the following year we played them again, and um, uh, they beat us in overtime. Um, mm-hmm. They beat us in over in overtime. A goal by uh, Debbie Keller, and um, uh, we flew through Chicago on the way home. We flew the red eye back uh, to South Bend and we were at about a two hour later in Chicago. And if you remember, they used to have on the airport, they used to have the CNN play of the day. Right. Oh no. And they would play it every 10 minutes. Right. That was the play of the day. Oh, we watched it for, you know, for two hours. We probably watched it 10 times and again and again and again. Uh, It's not like video now either. Back then we don't have like video like we do now. So, Yeah. Oh, that's painful. That yeah. is painful. Yeah. All right. And then last one for me. Oh, no, I have two. I have one. The last one's a really good one. One more. Have you ever had an assistant coach injure himself during practice like Beebs just did for us? Beebs just, you know, my boy Beebs, one of our assistant coaches in practice, tore his calf muscle, had to walk off. He's on crutches. Everybody's feeling mm-hmm. sorry for him. Ever had an assistant coach happen to you? I don't. I haven't. I mean, I, I've had like really fit, athletic assistant coaches. Yeah, you have. That's right. You have. You have. Never had that problem before. Yeah. No, it makes sense, Chris. Makes sense. Okay. And then this is a good one, and we may have to ask Brian this one. Okay. If you have to coach and you can only use one type of equipment, what would you pick? You have balls. You can use balls. You have to pick one one other thing: bibs, cones, goals, mini goals, sticks, toms. What's Wait, so, one... so goals are are one of the choices? Yeah, you have to have goals. But then I gotta have goals because I can't play without goals. Practice. You can practice without goals. <laughs> you can, but I feel like how you gonna how you gonna do the best soccer? You need goals. So and I always, gonna... the best way to uh, practice soccer is to play soccer. So I'm going with goals. 
How do you know which which person's on which team? Shorts and skins. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the going back to the playground. Okay, that's all I got. Pretty good ones. Okay, I got just uh, just two for you. Okay, what is your most memorable moment in coaching? Forgot. I'm thinking, Chris. Oh, can I think? I think it's going to be that think. memorable if you forgot it. <laughs> I mean, clearly, I think for me, it was uh, beating Clemson in penalties to get into the Sweet 16 in, yeah. in 2015. That was a, just an awesome night, an awesome game. And we're up one nothing till you know, 40 seconds left, and they equalized, go into overtime. We were able to hold them out, and they were all fired up, and then, and then get them in penalties. So, that was, yeah, I would say that was probably most memorable for me. What about you? You know, this is going to surprise you. It's a little different. Um, if I think about the things that have had the most impact um, that I felt the strongest about, uh, it was the first time I had a player play um, at a World Cup. Um, you know, to watch, it was Holly Manti in the 95 World Cup, uh, to watch one of your players play at the highest level. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah. that's, that's, that was certainly it, you know. Very cool. Yeah. All right. All right. One more question for you. Okay. Uh, this comes from Jared, who is uh, our boy BB's former best friend, he says. Oh, former. Best okay. okay. Former best friend. Okay. Yeah. Um, has he proceeded to tell us about BB getting thrown off, sent off in a uh, charity match? Yes. And a- asking us where Craig is, I have no idea who Craig is. But, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he wants to know if we're going to have Richard on the show as a guest. Well, I think Beebs is on the list of guests, but he's behind the 338 college coaches, head coaches. Yeah. And so I don't know what's 338 times two, all the other assistant coaches in the yeah. country. And then probably we'll go into some of the other sports before we get to him. So he's looking at, I don't know, episode, maybe our episode a thousand will have him on. We're at 28 right now. Maybe episode thousand. You know what, Jared, episode thousand, book it. Beebe's on. Okay. We're, we're right there. Uh, that's when we'll have Beebe's on. Uh, we reference him enough. He, he, he might as well be on the show. So uh, Jared, thanks for the question, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath to have him on as one of our guests. How about um, how about uh, the picker? Yeah. How about, awesome. how about the week for the picker? Unbelievable. Um, I mean, I, I said this to you over the weekend, Chris. The the idea that he's done it seven in a row is is just so impressive because that's two different recruiting classes, right? That's two, mm-hmm. and, and I always wanted before then to whatever, but to go seven in a row, the culture of his team, his coaching, and and I also would say. He's not killing these teams five, six, seven, oh, nothing every time out. Like maybe, you know, back when Carolina was winning every year, they they were killing everybody in the ACC. I mean, the games are close, and he's got a coach, and um, he's got a good team, and he just keeps winning. It's it's really impressive. Good for him. Good for him. Congratulations yeah. to Sanford. Yeah. So just to to sort of clarify, Sanford yeah. won the league mm-hmm. seventh year in a row, which is a pretty big accomplishment for sure. Yeah. 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 I had a question for you, Matt. Uh, Okay. I wanted to ask about, um, you know, we have these uh, 
all of these national polls out there, right? And, right. You know, the United Soccer Coaches does a poll. I think maybe Top Drawer does a poll. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody's everybody's got a poll, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that a lot of times people look at these polls and then they look at they go, okay, well, these are the teams getting in the NSA tournament. These are how they're going to be seated and that kind of thing. So yeah. Explain to everybody what impact these polls have on NCAA selection. Yeah. So any of the polls you take, the other ones you just mentioned, they have absolutely zero impact on the selection. The the selections are done by, there's a regional advisory committee that meets all season long to discuss teams in each region. There's five regions. So the regions are even different than the United Soccer Coaches. Um, Those groups get together and come up with a ranking and then those rankings go forward and, you know, there's RPI use every year. You know, we've talked a lot about that, but there's an RPI. There's all these things. But that, those polls mean absolutely nothing. We don't look at them. We don't consider them. They hold absolutely no weight when it comes to NCAA selection. So looking at that now, listen, Florida State's number one. And Florida State looks pretty good. Actually, they're already in, right? So, yeah. But uh, past that, I mean, it's it's totally – um, going to be your body of work and what you've done against other teams, so on and so all the different criteria. But those polls are not part of the criteria at all. So they're they're basically useless. Yeah, it's a reason to get uh, Twitter graphic or Instagram graphic for your team. But other than that, um, from an NCA uh, selection standpoint, there's no there's no value. Good because I don't put a lot of stock in them. I don't really pay that much attention to them, or or really, yeah. I don't ever talk to my team about them ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. We ready for him? Bring him in. If we can. All right. Uh, if he can finish whatever he's eating, we can we can have him yeah, in. Yeah, you know, God forbid. <laughs> he likes a nice hummus. This is hummus day, Chris. This is hummus day. Monday's hummus day. Brian, <laughs> Coach Lee, Brian Lee from the Rice Owls, whose team's absolutely rolling. Welcome to College Soccer Nation. What's up, fellas? It's a nice night. I am. I had some hummus and chips while I was listening to you guys. I enjoy that. And, uh, Topping it off with a couple of yogurt raisins. Ah, oh, good. Nice. And, uh, one win away from a, a championship. Is that correct? Well, we're going to play uh, UTEP on Thursday, and if they win tonight, the winner of that game uh, will get themselves a trophy or whatever it is. Uh, so we're excited about it. It's fun in the COVID in the COVID year because you never know what to expect. So obviously, it's fun to be playing for something late in the season. Awesome. Hey, Brian, I want to ask you one of our questions that the listeners asked us. Um, so if you had to coach and you could only use one type of equipment, but you had balls and goals, which, equi- which equipment would you use? Well, once we have at least one ball, and I, I would choose these over, we need one ball. And then we have to have pennies because right? I'd be at a loss. I mean, there's only we can only do so many technical things that it would keep contained. So – Pennies would be number one. Pennies would become would come before goals for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. I mean, Chris has to have goals. You know, he has to have the fancy goals. He can't. God forbid. You know, back in the day when I was in the when I was in the um, sand lot, you know, we put up a couple, maybe somebody's shoes or something, and you just used it that way. Chris got to have all the fancy goals. You know, big surprise. Well, this is this is odd. You know, uh, military family. So I grew up in Scotland and England. Everywhere I lived, we had trees for goals. They had sure. trees on different size fields that could serve as the goals. It was fantastic. Didn't need yeah. goals. Didn't need goals, did you? Not like Mr. Primadonna. No. 
uh, Mr. Dallas. I'm not biting that. I'm not biting. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> All right, Brian. Um, I, I, we always we always start here. Let's start with the Big Ten. Um, I don't know what to what to say here. Penn State is clinched. We know that. And then they've come up with this tournament disaster kind of thing. Talk me through this whole thing. What, what, what's going on in the Big Ten? Well, at this point, here's what I feel like with the Big Ten. I feel like they had a meeting. They got all the coaches and maybe the SWAs were allowed to come in. And this is pre-COVID. And they said, okay, what can we do to ensure that the fewest number of our teams will play postseason? <laughs> so, number one, let, let's all play ourselves. Let's have just conference games. And they went about their business and they thought, okay, this, this doesn't ensure that we're only going to get two or three teams in. Let's do a geography-based tournament that makes absolutely no sense at the end of the year. And let's take our teams that are on the bubble of the tournament that seem like they're going to be in, and let's set them up for the only way they can the NCAA tournament. So you two, Penn State, you're in. You two who are almost in, we're going to let you play the only two teams in our league that will torpedo your season if you lose. <laughs> and then our two biggest bubble teams, Michigan and Indiana, you just play each other, which isn't going to do you any good. But as a reward, rather than play Rutgers or Ohio State or someone like that, Wisconsin, you guys play Penn State. It's way better than everyone. So if you can beat them, you're going to be in the tournament. Like you got to beat Penn State. It's it's unbelievable. It's like they're doing everything they can to the last minute to only have two or three teams make it. That was, uh, that was <laughs> quite eloquent. <laughs> I don't know who is on which side of it. Irwin's pretty opinionated at Indiana. You know, Lori's got opinions at Ohio yeah. who came up with this, but it, it's, it's uh, not for the greater good. No, my, my, it, it, to me, it feels like this is a, an AD SWA kind of deal without a lot of input from the coaches. That's it has to be right. You know, the geography of it and the big 10's got plenty of money, you yeah. know, big 10 and the SEC, obviously the football money's still rolling in. It's, pretty disappointing that that's the the tournament they came up with because in the end all joking aside you know indiana michigan you could argue illinois certainly wisconsin those are bubble teams that they've created a really really hard path yeah the ncaa tournament all right pac 12 um big winners on the on the weekend um ucla usc arizona um but stanford and washington state two final four teams from uh, a year ago are um, are in big trouble um, and Oregon kind of remains on the bu- on the bubble yeah Oregon probably looks on the wrong side of it just history would say they're not going to be able to write themselves but you know as I said last week we're all cheering for them Stanford Washington State I mean they're pretty close to life support with four or five games to go with whatever each team has um, we keep trying to give or at least I keep trying to give Stanford the the uh, Benefit of the doubt, you've kind of been the voice of doom, and I've just flipped over to your last weekend. <laughs> Joy the dark on side. The outside right? looking in. The dark side. Yeah. Shocking that Chris would be the voice of doom. That's shocking. <laughs> Shocker. Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. I don't know how that goes. Anakin, someone flipped over. Yeah, so, the, I mean, that league's looking at a number of teams in, but they're still not sorted out yet. 
Well, I mean, I think what's sorted is they're going to fall right in line with the three or four teams, you know, probably four max if things break bad, three. I can't imagine up being five. But beyond UCLA, no one's safe yeah. um, in the league. And, they, you know, they still have seven, eight teams. Oregon, you mentioned, Colorado. Stanford and Cal can still play their way in and with a winning streak. Look what Arizona did this weekend. Arizona went from certainly on the outside looking in to all of a sudden looking like a pretty solid at-large team. Yeah. And then just some other results around the country. West Virginia with a big win over over Virginia. That's two big wins in a row for West Virginia beating Duke and and beating uh, Virginia. They kind of own in the ACC at the moment. Uh, South Florida, big win over Memphis. BYU returns the favor and beats Santa Clara. TCU looked fantastic with a 4-0 win over Oklahoma State. It had a lot of impact results there. Starting with West Virginia, you know, two weeks ago, they're a bubble team. Where's the good win? And all of a sudden now they look more like a two or a three seed when the tournament comes out. Um, TCU laying the smackdown on Oklahoma State. A lot of teams who started late have struggled in that first game, playing teams who played a few more games. And for TCU to come out that strong, you know, making a real case for a number one seed maybe. Uh, still a big game with A&M coming up. But if they win that A&M game, it's hard to imagine them not being the fourth number one uh, when the brackets come out. Would be uh, And that would be a heck of an achievement for TCU. That's that's for sure. And the South Florida-Memphis game at South Florida. Memphis coming off the big win over Vanderbilt. Uh, really solidified South Florida um, as a potential at-large team. Again, the home field advantage for the AAC tournament, which is a big deal. Okay, so as we've talked through this now, you've given us a little bit of a preview, but what do we got for Brian's brackets this week? Well, I think it's getting pretty clear. You know, we keep going back to the ACC with Florida State as the automatic, North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson, Duke. That's pretty settled. Uh, In the SEC, Vanderbilt's the auto, Arkansas, A&M, South Carolina, Ole Miss are safe as can be. The Big 12 is certainly a three-bid league, and but it's three teams who might all end up with top 16 seeds in uh, TCU is the automatic fighting for a one seed. West Virginia certainly looks like a two or a three. If they beat Virginia again this week, they're a two. It'd be hard to imagine them not uh, hitting that marker. And then Oklahoma state, when you really break it down, despite getting clobbered by TCU this week, they've got the results to be a three or a four seed. So while they won't have many teams, they're going to have high impact teams. And, you know, then we get to the big 10 and the PAC 12 and, uh, the Pac-12 is really looking like UCLA is the auto in the end, but then they're going to get four teams. You'd have to say the Arizona schools right now are fairly locked in. Washington's got the high RPI, but you've still got, you know, Stanford, Oregon, Cal, Colorado um, sitting right there close. And, and that's going to be a hard, hard final call when you get to that. Um AAC looks like a two-bid league with Memphis and South Florida, unless somebody stubs their toe down the stretch here in the semifinals of the tournament. Seems pretty clear. The interesting one to me is BYU-Santa Clara. So right now Santa Clara's in the driver's seat for the automatic bid, but BYU looks good right now, but they're headed to play Pepperdine and uh, Portland. And if they drop one of those two games, they probably go from – just outside a top 16 seed to not in the tournament at all. And I, I happened to notice today that we're going to play two games against Pepperdine. They were going to play a non-conference game. 
and they axed the non-conference game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. I didn't realize that happened. Yeah, smart. which it's <laughs> smart. And I think everyone across the country would probably do it because Pepperdine right now, the, beating BYU is not getting them in the tournament, but losing to Pepperdine for BYU is going to – they're out if they lose that game is, would be my opinion. Um, so not playing, it's a big deal. But that's something you can't do in a regular year. You can't yeah. do scheduled games just because you feel like canceling it. And the COVID year has kind of opened us up for a lot of late season schedule um, finagling around. So yeah. be a game or two we don't even know exists right now that'll pop up that's convenient to the two schools to give them a better chance of getting an at-large bid. Because um, right now you look at we, – we haven't mentioned them, but Notre Dame, they've got Oklahoma State and TCU. They'll win both of those games. They're in the tournament. They'll get – and right now they're not close. And – Texas has got Arkansas here late in the season. You know, maybe. you have maybe, <laughs> maybe you have to give some credence to spring performance over last fall and adding Missimo. I watched him play Baylor the other night, and Baylor is no slouch, and that was a destruction. That front group for Texas looks great right now, but they may have added the best player in the country. You right. know, Mario's gone. So, um, Lot still to play for, but not many bids. It, it's pretty straightforward to me. The, the bigger question will be the seeding um, and some of the big names. Will Stanford get in? Um, will Washington State get in? Virginia's got a pretty light resume when you really break it down. Great team, aesthetically pleasing to watch. Certainly one of the best 19 teams in the country if you're just picking the best teams. But they've got a draw to Duke. That's all they've got to hold their hat on. So we'll see. I watched them, you know, that game with West Virginia, and and, and I usually am a big fan of, of Steve's team at at uh, Virginia, but they there's something off there. There's something not not quite right. They weren't real sharp. They weren't real dangerous um, in the beginning of the game. They had the ball a good deal, but by the end, West Virginia was really pushing for the goal, and and I just I'm I'm not quite sure what it is. I know they've had some injuries. I know they haven't had, you know, the whole compliment on the field and, and certainly that, that impacts them. Um, but I'm not sure that Virginia is your typical Virginia team as Stanford is not your typical Stanford team. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree anymore. And it, it's imperative that the committee really looks at the actuals of this spring because it's such an awkward spring with COVID. We don't know who trained how much and individual kids or teams, what they were able to do. Um, during the, the COVID lockdown. I mean, you look at volleyball, Stanford had won the last two national championships. Well, they just missed the NCAA tournament, didn't get in. And they're two-time defending national champs when that bracket came out. But if you look at the results, that's perfectly fair. Um, so I, I think it's imperative we're not looking at past results. And if, if leagues decided to play some sort of awkward schedule that lessened their team's chances to be in the tournament, then so be it. That's just what happened. And you either win the automatic bid or you don't, and then then you move on. But you, you can't to me, you can't have teams missing out on the tournament who've performed better, especially in the spring. And there has to be some weight to spring performance versus fall performance. It's a little tight. Um, and you can't have those teams missing out based on name brands. Okay. Who's your team of the week? Well, I think it's Arizona for me this week. Uh, you know, I, I saw out there that it had been quite some time since they had swept the NorCal teams and yeah. 
in Cal and Stanford, and they needed it more than ever. Their RPI number looked pretty good before the weekend, but they didn't really have the wins when you broke it down. And just a huge weekend for them. And and right now they'd be fairly fairly safe in the tournament. So for me, it's Arizona. How about you? Well, I had Arizona as well. So uh, I always have a backup in case we're we're the same. So I'm going to go with West Virginia, and, and I'm going to I'm going to do it because of you know I'm going to include last week a little bit, but you know beating Duke and and beating Virginia back to back you know, outside of North Carolina and Florida State, you know, very few teams, very few teams do that or are able to do that. So uh, two pretty good wins for, for Nikki and her group. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, one takeaway from all of this, the ACC is the best league. Yeah. We've gone through the fall and the spring and Pac-12 look fine, but the, the ACC is the best league. So for West Virginia to go do that with the arguably third, fourth or fifth best team in the league, that's, that's a huge, huge 14 days for them. Very good. All right, Chris. Chris. Yep. All good, uh, Brian, you want to you want to wish me happy anniversary on the air? Well, I do want to wish you a happy anniversary, and thank you. And in my mind, day to day, it's not just on her anniversary. She's quite the angel for uh, mm-hmm. putting up with you and your quirks. Um, but it's a big day here on the podcast. You've got your twenty fourth anniversary, and you've got Anson Dorrance coming on the pod. Pretty impressive, isn't it? It is pretty impressive. I'm, you Impressing know, yourself, I'm, Matt. Yeah. I'm, I'm always looking for what is the D-Day of the pod? What's the end moment? <laughs> it shouldn't be it. The, you've peaked. Anson Torrance <laughs> on with you two. I think it, 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 the, the may have officially peaked here at episode 27. Seven. Are, you, right. are, you comfortable, are you comfortable with Beeps coming out on episode 1000? <laughs> um. I don't know. That's uh, that's a good over under for the episode. He's got his pros. He's got his cons. I'm not sure podcast guest falls under. Pros, but, but I, you know, I'm all for it. I love a good uh, South Louisiana guy getting on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Any, any quick things on answer before we, we, before we bring him in? Well, there'll never be another one. You know, I think there are very few, you know, I think Pat summit was great. But she had contemporaries. I think Anson really is the one guy in men's or women's college soccer. There is no contemporary. There's no Gino Oriyama to his Pat Summit. Agreed. And, and what he has done, you know, in the beginning, you could argue all those early championships. But what he's done in, in recent history as the sport has uh, become more professional and more competitive teams uh, really speaks volumes about the coach he is and, and really – Certainly in our sport, maybe in all of college sports, there's nobody uh, comparable. Totally agree. Totally Very agree. well said. All right, Brian, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. See you. See you. And now, Chris, uh, certainly a pleasure of ours to bring in, um, you know, probably the greatest soccer coach of all time, certainly in the college women's soccer, uh, Anson Dorrance from North Carolina, 21 national championships, tons of awards was a world cup champion just uh about the best there is for sure in our game so we're certainly thrilled to have him here on college soccer nation anson welcome to our show well thank you for that uh uh graceful introduction and it's a pleasure to be here with chris (laughs) absolutely so all right i get the first question though anson first question is uh talk us about talk to us about coaching the current player what it's like with with these current players 
Well, obviously it's changed over time. And the thing I love about uh, uh, being on a podcast with uh, Chris is he's been through the same, uh, you know, range of different personalities and different eras like I have. So everything I'm sharing, I know he will completely agree with. But one thing that's cool at working at a university uh, is we can bring in experts to tell us who we're coaching. And one of my favorite uh, introductions to the modern player was in uh, uh, basically the early fall of 2012. And what was really cool is we brought in our local sociologist to tell us, uh, you know, how the people we were coaching have changed. And honestly, I didn't really have to listen to his, you know, 45 minute lecture on what had changed. All I needed to do really was to look at his first two slides. And his first slide had the date of 1969 on it. The reason I remember that, that was the year I graduated from high school. So you've got this uh, cartoon up there and this kid is coming home from school and he's got all F's on his report card. And his, the parents are yelling at the kid. And then all of a sudden the date changed to basically when he was giving the lecture, 2012. The kid comes home from school. So what has changed in this period between you know, when I was in high school and now is now uh, what happens in the coaching profession is for some reason the kids are no longer responsible for their playing time. Uh, they're not responsible uh, anymore for trying to win a, an opportunity to start or play maximum minutes. Basically, if they don't start and play maximum minutes, it's my fault. And so there's a changing landscape in the sort of environments we're raising our kids in because now for some reason in the way we're raising our children is they're not accountable for anything. And basically parents are there and they're no longer even helicopter parents anymore. They're what are called snowplow parents because the modern parent isn't just hovering above the child with an umbilical cord, staying connected with them their entire lives, but now they're pushing every possible obstacle out of the way. And no better example than of course the admission scandal. So what the parents are doing now is heck, now their kids don't even have to do any work to get into college. <laughs> what mom and dad is gonna do is they're going to make sure by bribing someone that your kid is going to be admitted to Stanford or USC or some of those other schools that basically have a, a very stiff admission premium. And now all that has to happen is uh, they cash the check and your kid is admitted. So what's happening right now is there is a changing landscape. And a part of the problem, honestly, is the way we're raising our kids because uh, we're all suffering from what's called the self-esteem movement. So now the old classic uh, story about you know, everyone gets a trophy. It's now everyone gets a trophy on steroids. And so now any problem that's happening in the, in the lives of these kids are, uh, uh, we are the blame for it. And so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, now the, there's a huge challenge uh, to coach these spoiled brats. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, uh, I'm just hoping, uh, Chris, you and I are both paid enough uh, to coach the modern generation of player. Uh, so one of the things you always get with Anton is honesty, right? <laughs> he's going to be honest and he's going to tell you how he feels for sure. That was great. <laughs> hey, I got I have to um, correct something though, Matt. You yep. said the greatest, the greatest women's soccer coach. This guy uh, is the greatest college coach, regardless <laughs> of sport. There's, there's no one close. Come on. Like, yes. There's, you know, you start thinking about well, who else is out there. John Wooden, right? I mean, John Wooden won, I think, nine championships. I mean, it's, it's not even close. Like the the guy is is the best that's ever stepped on a college campus for sure. 
Chris, um, uh, I've got to have you reintroduce me to my wife. I think she's forgotten all this stuff. <laughs> I think I'm the guy that takes the garbage up every uh, uh, Monday morning. So would you Part please call my wife? I'll give you her cell phone. I think she's forgotten all this. <laughs> That's part of it, though. We still got to take out the trash. That's true. It's, it's a nightmare. Uh, I, want, I want to ask you uh, something. And we've talked uh, about this. At, and you may not remember this, but a, a long time ago. And I asked you at, at one point, like, your ability to ramp up each year and be excited about each year and be, you know, you're, uh, you're as competitive as, as anybody I've, I've ever come across and, and, and to continue to have this burning desire to win. And, and you have that ability better than, than anybody I know. And I wonder where that comes from. Is that, you know, does that come from your family? Is that just an, uh, sort of an, an innate thing? I mean, where does that come from? Gosh, um, Chris, I think a part of it is the Napoleon complex I had growing up. Um, I was always small for my age. Uh, so uh, um, I think when you've got this complex, uh, I think you're always trying to prove yourself. And um, I didn't really grow <laughs> my prodigious stature of 5'10 until uh, I was like uh, maybe a sophomore, junior in high school. As a freshman in high school, I was four foot 11. Wow. So basically I was dismissed uh, and uh, sort of, you know, spat upon and bullied. And as a result, you develop sort of a callousness, but also you develop this incredible capacity to try to prove yourself all the time. And um, I've always loved every sport. I mean, there's not a sport out there, Chris, I don't absolutely love to play. And, um, and I just love everything about sports. And so that was my opportunity to sort of uh, prove that, uh, yeah, I'm only four foot 11, but I'm going to rip your, your, thank you for uh, making sure I didn't swear during this. <laughs> rip your head off. Um, and I think that was a part of it. And I think, uh, uh trying to prove yourself all the time makes all the difference in the world. So someone like Tom Brady, for example, what I love about, and I, I love telling the Tom Brady story. He was drafted 199. He has spent the rest of his life proving that he was disrespected with going that far down in the draft. And he's still proving it, yeah. which I absolutely love. So I think basically uh, deep inside me, um, I've been scarred. Uh, by being a four foot eleven freshman in high school, having everyone spit on me, and then spending the rest of my life say, "Hey, you know, you six foot four goon, I'm going to rip you in half, and I don't care what sport we're playing." Um, and uh, I got to tell this story. So uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Chris, but I spent my first semester at uh, at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I was rejected at my top three schools. I was rejected at Bowdoin in Maine, which was my first choice of schools. I was rejected at Dartmouth, which was my second choice of schools. And I was rejected at Wesleyan in Connecticut, was my third choice of school. St. Mary's had to admit me because it was the same Catholic teaching order as my high school uh, boarding school in Freiburg, Switzerland. So I think uh, they had to admit me. So anyway, I'm down there in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, back in those days, it was the murder capital of the United States. 
And every single weekend, I was almost killed by someone or something. And you would understand this. Obviously, I can't tell you all the stories because I think, uh, again, this is probably a G-rated show. It is. It is. I had to leave. I had to escape San Antonio (laughs) in order to stay alive because almost every weekend I was almost killed. Uh, It was either going to be a cowboy or a Mexican. For a cowboy, it was because of something I said to him, like if he was wearing boots and buckles and a hat. I had never spent any time in the United States. I didn't know they really dressed like that. I thought they were freaking clowns. The trouble with a cowboy, and you know this because you work in Texas, they take these things very personally. And so anyway, I was beaten to death almost every weekend by one of them or walking back from, you know, going to uh, Denny's Diner. You know, I got this beer can in the back of my head and I picked up a rock really quickly and my right arm is a gun. And I, my throw hit the back of this car's windsh- or back shield. They stopped and backed up. And there were three Mexican boys in the car with three Mexican girls. So now they had to beat the absolute crap out of me. And so, holy <laughs> cow, I had to leave Texas to stay alive. So anyway, I get to UNC as a second semester freshman. And uh, <clears throat> I move into Teague Dorm. The intramural manager of Teague Dorm comes into my room and said, Anson, welcome to Teague Dorm. We take intramurals here very seriously. Would you look at the winter and spring sports that we compete in here and see if there's a sport that you think you're good enough to compete in for the dorm? And so I took his clipboard and looked at it for a couple seconds, and I handed it back to him. I said, if you want to win, you put me on every single team. (laughs) He thought I was joking. I wasn't joking. So sure enough, he puts me on every single team. I started an 11-year intramural dynasty in Teague Dorm because not only did we kill everyone in every sport, because I can play every sport known to man, but we also trained, we recruited. The university got really upset with me, so they cut the dorm in half to think that was going to interfere with our ability to win. We had all the athletes move into the same two floors, and we continued to wax everyone. If there was a good athlete coming into uh, our university from your high school, we recruited the athlete, made sure they moved into Teague, and then we trained them. And then we did everything. We protested oh, games. We had lawyers <laughs> where we could protest the results of a, of a softball game. Uh, we did everything. Uh, we were the absolute worst sports, but we absolutely dominated. My favorite was beating the football dorm and everything, uh, the basketball dorm and everything. The only dorm that gave us a little bit of trouble were the tennis players because there are a lot of, you know, racket sports. So that was a little bit of a struggle. But we enjoyed beating the football players to death, the basketball players to death. That's great. So anyway, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. That's great. Uh, so for me, uh, I think it goes back to four foot 11 freshmen in high school having to prove myself every single day of my athletic life. And are you, you're still, I know at one time, like you were playing, playing a lot of hockey and things like that. You still do that? Well, the trouble with hockey is I tore my left hip labrum. And uh, so I can't play hockey anymore. Uh, so basically my whole body's falling apart. Yeah. Uh, I am left with one sport now, Chris, it's pickleball. I saw you and you and Foudy. I saw something about you and Foudy playing. Yeah, no, no, I got to play pickleball now. And I'm so aggressive. I want to be good at pickleball. So my wife asked me, to build a pickleball court in my backyard. Wow. So that, that's all I'm left with. I can't move anymore. I absolutely can't jump. I can't really move to my left or right because of the 
<laughs> hockey injury. Uh, but basically, I'm going to master pickleball. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. That's great. All right. I'm going to turn your attention now, Anson, to, uh, you know, your staffs. You've had great staffs through the years. Loyal staffs has been around. And, you know, obviously, Duke Carr is, is awesome. is a good friend of mine. And you guys in many different years have used two goalkeepers. And and talk to us about the mentality of that, how that's kind of transpired. And, and obviously, it's worked really well. But but talk to us a little bit about two-goalkeeper system. Sure. I'm always shocked uh, at an elite Division One school when a coach just uses uh, one. And no better example than uh, the last time we had a national championship. Uh, uh, Virginia had a phenomenal team. And then I saw this happen because it happened against one of my own players. There was a 50-50 ball between an, uh, an absolutely amazing Virginia goalkeeper and Brianna Pinto. And they had a horrific collision. Uh, Pinto was trying to head the ball. The goalkeeper was trying to save it. <clears throat> and basically what ended up happening is Pinto's head went right into the jaw of the Virginia goalkeeper. So our this is the ACC championship final a couple of years ago. So now all of a sudden we're in the championship uh, final overtime and they've got a rookie goalkeeper on the field. <clears throat> and basically we ended up scoring on her uh, and we won the ACC championship. And now Virginia, who had, I think was maybe even a number one seed, uh, was now going into the NCAA tournament, but now they were riding the shoulders of a goalkeeper that hadn't really played all fall. And they were knocked out by Washington State, I think, in the second round. We ended up playing Washington State in the semis, and uh, they were a great team, by the way. And mm -hmm. we squeaked by them to get to the final. Um, but there's an example of what I don't understand most college coaches do. To get this tiny bit of an edge, because very rarely – at a division one level, do you only have one goalkeeper that can play? So our philosophy has always been to play two until the ACC tournament. And then we go with the best goalkeeper uh, because there's not going to be that much difference unless you've got a truly brilliant goalkeeper. And then you sort of went off the rails in recruiting a second one. Usually at a division one level, the starter and the backup are relatively close. And so we're going to make sure we invest in both because I don't want to be caught in the position Virginia was a couple of years ago where with a phenomenal team. And by the way, I saw the way Washington state eliminated them and it was goalkeeper error. Uh, so uh, basically I don't want to put my field players in that position. And the other thing is this, we sub field players regularly. And as a result, there's a great camaraderie on our roster because, and uh, Chris knows this, we try to play between 19 and 22 players a game. And as a result, we don't really have highs and lows. Sometimes we win a championship. Sometimes we don't. But even in the years when we don't win a championship, we got a pretty good team. Even during seasons when we graduate, you know, six or seven or eight starters, we're still pretty good because we're going to be playing a unit the next year that have all played at a very high level against all the best teams. And so we've always believed in substituting. Now, obviously, uh, schools use this against us in recruiting, and we understand that. Uh, but still. Um, I love the fact that the morale of my teams are always high. Um, and a part of the chemistry, positive aspects of our chemistry is we invest in our kids. We play them. If I recruit a kid, we're going to try to play you. And there's only one way you don't get on the field at the University of North Carolina if I've recruited you, and that's if you don't defend. Uh, so if you will defend even like three minutes for me, if you can suck it up and defend for three minutes, we'll give you three minutes of playing time. So it's only the kids that don't defend that don't get on the field. And as a result, when you have that as a philosophy, 
it's extraordinary how hard every kid works for us defensively. So for me, uh, subbing the goalkeeper is a no-brainer. We sub plays in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. And trust me, I think that's the way to go. And obviously, if you look at the EPL, what do they do? Well, they play yeah. their goalkeeper in the FA Cup, their backup. Their yeah. starter plays in the EPL. And then, you know, so basically they try to figure out ways to give their reserve goalkeeper a tournament or two to play in. And so if they're doing that, and they are obviously making millions, and they all want to uh, win trophies, if they're doing that at their level, uh, surely we can do that at ours. That's a great answer. Makes total sense. Interesting. Okay, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the evolution of um, of your team over the years. Obviously, I, I am familiar with your team from from back, you know, way. Can you hear me again? Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yes. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, sort of the evolution of the systems, right? I mean, remember you were back in a at a time where everybody was playing market, everybody was marking players and, and things like that with a sweeper. And then you threw the three, four, three out there on everybody and, and, uh, and really sort of revolutionized the, the game uh, a good deal. And you've changed from that, you know, since, well, while I know you still use it, but there are now times where you're playing, playing with a back four. So can you take me through some of those, you know, the, the thought process of some of those changes? Yeah, first of all, Chris, you're probably the only person in the country that can legitimately ask me that question and know uh, that it's a great question. It is a great question. And first of all, I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I can punch into the full computer now. Do you want me to try that or just uh, stay on my cell phone? You're good. You're good. Okay, yeah. then I'll stay on my cell. Now I can see your faces, actually. Um, <clears throat> so here's what happened. Um, for me, it's all about the press. So back in the day uh, when I was uh, starting to coach the women, the thing I noticed really early is that when you press a women's team, even if they've got some skill, it's amazing how often they cough the ball up for you. And so for me, um, that was the most critical thing in designing my systems. What system can I play to make it very hard for my opponent to play against? And back in the old days, I always played a three front, but you're right, Chris. Uh, you're one of the few people that knows this. We didn't start out with a flat, a semi-flat back one, three, four, three. We started out with a one, three, four, three, but we played with two marking backs and a deep sweeper. And all of a sudden we're at a tournament uh, actually in Texas. I think it was at uh, one of those uh, uh, challenge tournaments in Houston. And I'm looking at my team, and we're just not getting it done. And we had a pretty good defense. I think we had Stacy Wilson marking. I think we had Nell Fetting <clears throat> as a sweeper. And we had maybe Andrea Zeem and another pretty good marking back. And that was our back three. So we marked with two, and we swept with uh, uh, basically Nell Fetting. Nell Fetting is one of the smartest players I've ever coached. And so things aren't really working for us. And so at the half, this is without any training, I said, you know what? We're going to try something different. <clears throat> uh, Nell, we're going to play a flat three. And she had no issue with it because this girl knows how to read the game. So, Stacey, you're going to stay over there on the right side. You know, Andrea, you're going to stay over there on the left. We're going to play with a, a flat three because my team already knew how to balance the flank midfielders. And so the flank midfielders on the opposite side were balancing back into the wing back space. But obviously it was man-to-man -man marketing. Here's what I saw 
immediately. And I started sharing this in all my clinics. What was really interesting is if we're playing a good pressurized game against an opponent and we're making it hard for them to pass the ball out of the back, I have a huge disadvantage in being an excellent collection of markers because if I'm marking incredibly well, it's always a fight for possession. Because if I am a good marker and you're a good striker and I'm marking you and your backs under pressure don't serve you a good ball, it's still a sprint for both of us to get to the ball. Now, if I were a miserable marking back and you had beaten me by 15 yards and your back was under so much pressure, they couldn't pass it accurately to you. Now, if it was passed to me, I'm off to the races. So now I can clean it up and now I'm off in a counterattack because your back just missed you by 15 yards. <clears throat> so I'm noticing this basically in the second half in the semi-flat back one, three, four, three. We are playing in a shape and the other team, because of the press of our front line and midfielders are passing the ball to my backs in their shape. Does that make any sense, Chris? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. We're going to stay with this. And even though I won a world championship in 1991 with two marking backs and a sweeper, the more we started using the semi-flat back one three four three, the more I thought this was the system we were going to play until the women's game had evolved to a level where that press wasn't going to have them give us the ball anymore. <clears throat> And here is the problem I ran to later when I started playing different systems. Um, all of a sudden, there were different teams out there that were out recruiting us. And honestly, Chris, for years, you out recruited us among the Catholic po population at Notre Dame. In <laughs> fact, with the Catholics I, for sure. <laughs> I have data on this because <laughs> I am so data driven. I couldn't believe how often I lost Catholics to you. Um, and so basically your teams are unbelievable. And part of the reason they were unbelievable is every one of those great Catholics went to Notre Dame. And here's the other thing is what's the most popular religion in America? It's Catholicism. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This absolutely sucks. Yeah, that's a big pool. Losing kids to Notre Dame because they're Catholics. Anyways, driving me crazy. So anyway, so what ended up happening is not only was I, and by the way, I still lose Catholics to Notre Dame. Not only am I still losing Catholics to Notre Dame, but I'm also now losing the best players to Stanford, but I'm losing the second best players who are basically in Southern California. I'm losing them to UCLA. Any kid that's made a national youth team, I'm now losing to the University of Virginia. And for good reason. I mean, he's been a part of two world championships, the United yeah. States. He floats in and out of those, you know, youth national team camps with impunity because in theory, you know, he was, you know, recruiting for the full national team. And so anyway, so basically on the recruiting chart, and by the way, of course, we're losing the foreigners to uh, Florida State. So if you look at recruiting, we're recruiting at a top six level. <clears throat> so I'm not getting those flank midfielders like I used to, because holy cow, to play a semi-flat back one, three, four, three effectively, your left and right midfielder have to be world-class athletes. They have to have this really bizarre combination of being fast as absolute hell and also being able to run all day. So you've got to find a girl that can win the 100-meter dash, but also win the 400 and the 800-meter. That doesn't exist in the track world. So how can that exist in the soccer world? And yet that's the flank midfielder and the semi-flat back one three four three. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm losing the Catholics to Notre Dame, the youth national team players to Virginia, the best players to Stanford, and the best California players that can't get into Stanford to UCLA. 
And so basically I'm not getting the cream of the crop anymore. So what do we have to do? Well, now we've got to change systems because now I can't play, play a pressurized game out of a semi flat back one, three, four, three, because I don't have any flank midfielders. So then our system had to evolve and change. And now we've bounced around four, three, three. Yeah. Uh, our last championship run when we lost to Stanford on penalty kicks was actually a three, five, two. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, we've bounced around a lot, but that's only because I can't recruit uh, with impunity anymore. Um, because if I could, gosh, can we shut teams down, as you know, in the semi-flatback one, three, four, three. In fact, one of my favorite uh, moments in coaching, and Chris, I have to share this with you. We're playing in the national championship final. You guys are lined up in a, in a one, three, four, three, and I'm lined up in a one, three, four, three. <laughs> And you and I all of a sudden caught each other in the first five minutes of the game. I looked over at you. You looked over at me. And I know what was going through your mind. It was the same thing that was going through my mind. Game on, baby. Because there was no space on that field. If both teams are on a 3-4-3, neither team can frigging breathe. And I am thinking, let's see how long this goes. And actually, I think you ended up blinking. I think you switched off after maybe 20 or 30. Correct me if I'm wrong. But holy cow, there was no room to breathe on that field for a while. And it was just chaos. It was soccer chaos at the highest level. And uh, uh, But Chris, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So anyway, there's the evolution of uh, uh, the system. And that's why we uh, are now bouncing around. We just don't get those flank midfielders because there just aren't that many that can play at a very high level in the semi-flat back one, three, four, three. Interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. Great answer too. Um, all right, Anson, let me ask you this. Talk to us through your 40 years there at Carolina, the ever-changing landscape of the athletic department and how that's evolved with the different, you know, adding all the different people that come in now and work there. And, and what's that been like for you? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, um, I am a proud son of the University of North Carolina. I went to school here and I love everything about it. Um, I got married uh, the summer I graduated from college. And uh, my wife, uh, fortunately, uh, was an extraordinarily capable woman. She was a professional dancer. Uh, We got married that summer. And for the first 15 years of our marriage, and Chris will appreciate this because, holy cow, none of us were paid much back in the day. Uh, She supported us. I think my first year salary, Chris, was 1500 a year for being the head coach of the men's team. Uh, then uh, in 79, they gave me a women's team and made a part-time position full-time. But the only reason it was full-time, by that time I was making 12000 a year uh, coaching both teams. But uh, $8,000 came from the football team because I was also the study hall proctor for football. Uh, so wow. uh, basically this is the evolution of, of you know, basically non-revenue sports and and i'm not this is not i'm not whining i'm just Mm -hmm. you know speaking you know the way it was and i never had a problem with it i mean heck they were paying me to to do something i loved i never had an issue with any of this so please never look at any of this as any sort of complaint i loved everything i was doing um and i got it yeah they can pay me out of the football budget so yeah i'm gonna proctor study hall and they loved having me proctor study hall And you can appreciate this, Chris. I had no issue telling some six foot six, 300 pound football player to shit, sit down and shut up and open your frigging books. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they loved me in study hall because I wasn't intimidated by anyone. And I'm so verbally agile. If some kid, you know, tried to intimidate me verbally, I would undress him in front of his teammates and that would shut up the whole study hall. 
<laughs> so they listened to me. So anyway, I had no issue doing this uh, for football. <clears throat> but things, you know, started to change. Uh, and then obviously when we started to have some success, I got calls from all over the place. When the MLS was starting up, I had a lot of offers to coach in the MLS. And the salary would have been wonderful, certainly relative to what I was making. But I'm a college coach, Chris. Um, I've never been interested in the pros. Obviously, the pro leagues and the women's side, same sort of thing. The only offer I was somewhat tempted by was Stanford. Uh, Stanford recruited me in the early 90s. And I had to go out there and look uh, because, you know, what a wonderful opportunity at an extraordinary school. So I actually did go out there to look. And uh, what was interesting, and um, uh, I think you'll appreciate this as well. I've never been one that's been tied up with, you know, how much I've made. So I didn't use that as leverage to have my athletic department pay me more, even though the housing allowance that Stanford was giving me to leave UNC to go there was more money than I'd ever seen in my life. But I'm a North Carolinian. In fact, it was funny. While I was out there, my mother called me and said, listen, Anson, if you go to Stanford, I'm putting my head in an oven. So that sort of settled the situation. (laughs) And I came back to UNC. But I've loved working there. And it's interesting because I'm not a whiner. I've never asked for, you know, uh, a larger salary. I've never asked for more, you know, budget money. And we've never had a a real budget. Uh, But I'm a good public speaker. And so I've gone out and I've raised money by public speaking. I've had three different speeches where I've made a hundred thousand dollars in each of the three speeches. Uh, And my fee for a while was unbelievably high. So I've basically supported my program through my speeches. I've built an operating budget endowment. That's uh, a little over 4 million now. So we live off of that. And uh, I think because of all that uh, I've been appreciated by all of my athletic directors and now they have built me this stadium, uh, Chris, to die for. Yeah. And so the evolution of my program uh, has been, uh, I've never complained. And I have to admit this, and you will certainly admit this and support this. The stadium we played in was absolute garbage for years. <laughs> um, I mean, there was a track around it. There was nothing uh, track, intimate yeah. about it. Yeah, it was just horrible. I mean, everything about it was horrible. Uh, but we had good teams and we still recruited well. And so I've never complained about a thing. In fact, uh, uh, the last time I went in, uh, my my athletic director asked me uh, uh, what I wanted in salary. And I just threw out some sort of figure and he started laughing. And then he gave me a lot more than I asked for. <laughs> uh, so I've never been much of a whiner, but I don't have any expensive tastes with the exception mm-hmm. of this pickleball court. Hopefully my <laughs> wife will build for me. Um I don't, I don't, you know, I don't drive a, a fancy car. Uh, I don't go on ski vacations every winter. You know, I don't like to travel. In fact, I hate to travel. Um, I just like to play sports. That's it. I'm just not a very complex human being. And so um, as a result, I've never really needed or wanted anything except to represent my university in the most positive way. Uh, but what's happened is they are taking care of me more and more. And now they're starting to take care of my staff. They gave me enough uh, money to hire Damon Nahas, who's absolutely brilliant, by the way, Chris. He's an absolutely brilliant assistant coach. And holy cow, uh, am I on a permanent vacation now? Because the amount of work my staff does now is off the wall. That's great. And so the athletic department has stepped up now because they can. Uh, And now what's happening with the ACC, and we've got our own network now in the ACC. We're starting to generate some income. And so, and they're taking care of me. Uh, and uh, so many of the things they're doing right now are so wonderful. 
and not just for us, but for the whole athletic department. Uh, but yeah, I was back when no one was paid anything and our budgets all sucked. But in a way, I'm sort of glad because then I had to sort of be resourceful. And uh, I had something to market. Um, even though I'm an introvert, uh, I'm a good public speaker. Um, I'm not shy. I mean, just because you're int introverted doesn't mean you're shy. I've never been shy. Um, but I've been able to make a lot of money just with, with public speaking. Our money. Uh, but we've basically done stuff on our own. And I think uh, as a result, I've been respected for it within the department. Uh, and uh, as a result, we've built an incredible culture of not whining because I've never whined. And so, holy cow, do we not accept it from any players? Um, and so I think uh, all these things have helped me uh, develop a, a wonderful culture. Uh, and Chris, I've, in, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But also, I've really enjoyed people like you. Uh, and you were an extraordinary competitor for us back in the day. And you made me a better coach. And I just want you to know that playing against some of those great uh, Catholic Notre Dame teams, <laughs> those were difficult. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, so uh, you were an absolutely wonderful coach and did a Thank great you. job there winning championships. And, uh, uh, and you made me better, my friend. I just uh, want you to know you did. Thank you. You know, uh, one thing you, you started talking about your days as uh, coaching the men. And uh, I have to bring this up. Um, you know, when I was playing at UNCG, uh, in my senior year, uh, we, you know, a national championship team, fantastic team. Uh, we lost one game all year, and that was the Anson North Carolina team. <laughs> the only game we lost all year. <laughs> so well, thank we you. Even for that, knew it, Chris, we were competing. <laughs> that was very kind of you to say. Um, so you are very uh, thoughtful to actually bring that up um, because I have a lot of respect for. Uh, were you playing for Berticelli? Yeah, yeah. Mike was my coach, yes. Yeah, I love Berticelli. I mean, gosh, uh, was my heart cracked in half uh, when he died. I, I love that man. I loved working with him. Uh, I loved everything about him. And what you guys built there was incredible. And obviously, Eddie Radwanski and I, I went to Eddie Radwanski's North Carolina Hall of Fame induction. <laughs> uh, and the reason I went was because of Bert and what you guys built there. And I have a lot of respect for what you guys did because, of course, it wasn't the ideal recruiting platform. And yet you guys just destroyed teams. Um, and I was there for uh, Eddie's induction. He appreciated that, by the way. Oh, that's great. That's great. I wanted to ask you about uh, it, it, it's. Uh, I think it's a, a, your famous, I'll call it a famous training environment. I think you call it the competitive cauldron. I've heard you call mm -hmm. it. Um, and, and by the way, your. Um, your ability to manipulate the, the English language is better than anybody I know. <laughs> the yeah, no. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, thank you, Chris. Uh, uh, if, if there were two things in my program that I think have been game changers for me, the first one was the cauldron. And of course, uh, uh, here's the way it was designed. <clears throat> when I started coaching uh, the men at uh, North Carolina, uh, and when I was given the women's team, it was the same philosophy. I wanted to design a program that I would like to play in. So here is a sort of program I would like to play in. I would like there to be competitions in every single practice. Why? Because I was going to win every one of them. So that's what I wanted. I wanted to make sure that my practices were incredibly competitive. And then, you know, talk about a gift from the gods. I had the unbelievable privilege of being the women's soccer coach and men's soccer coach at the University of North Carolina, while Dean Smith was our men's basketball coach. Mm 
And I don't know why, but he liked me. And he used to say, you know, Anson, if you're bored one day, why don't you and your staff come over and just uh, watch how we're running a practice session? I just want you to know that we would love to be a part of your evolution as a coach. Because uh, my coaching resume, Chris, you'll love this. My coaching resume before I got the job at one of the top schools in Division One was Rainbow Soccer Coach. That's a co-educational rec league in Chapel Hill. So I go from coaching co-ed, you know, elementary school, middle school, and high school kids to the top of Division One. Wow. So I didn't really know anything about coaching. And here's this incredible man, you know, Michael Jordan's college basketball coach, that's saying, you know, Anson, please come in, and we would love to embrace you. And so all of a sudden, of course, I'm there. <clears throat> I'm there with my staff, and I'm watching this practice. And first of all, <clears throat> we had to sit in a certain section of the basketball uh, arena. Uh, so we're sitting in this certain section. And then just before the practice begins, one of the managers walks up. And by the way, I had to get there early. I couldn't come in whenever I wanted. I had to get there at a certain time. And he mentioned just casually, if you don't get there at this time, we're not going to let you in. So that is important for me because I'm very casual. <laughs> time and I don't have a good relationship. So and I did get there on time in order to sit there and watch. A manager comes up to me just before the practice begins and hands me and each one of my staff a sheet of paper with the exact time when every single drill was going to change and what the drill was going to be. So Dean gets together and there's this thought of the day. <clears throat> so basically every player has to memorize the thought of the day. And it might be some quote about playing defense. It might be some Aristotelian quote. It might be something from Shakespeare. It might be anything, but every kid there had to have this thing memorized. And he would point to someone, he would recite the quote, and then they would have a tactical emphasis for the day on offense. They would have a tactical emphasis on deep defense. And then as soon as that was done, then bang, 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 bang. They're going through this thing, and I just couldn't believe it. And sure enough, I'm watching basically the shot clock. I'm sorry, not the shot clock, the timer. Uh, and they're following this, this timing to the letter. I'm looking at the court as well. Underneath every basket is a, an assistant manager with a clipboard. He is recording whether or not, I got, uh, not every guy hit or missed a shot or whether or not the guy boxed out for the rebound or failed to, or if he was training the bigs 2v2, you know, who won and who lost. If it's 3v3, that was also recorded. Every single element in practice was recorded. At the end of practice, you would see Dean uh, bring the boys together. You would see all the assistant managers literally sprint to the scorer's table, and they would hand the head manager sitting at the scorer's table the results that they had compiled from that day's practice. Then I would see the uh, head manager furiously working, and what he's doing right now is ranking each player in practice that day based on shooting percentages, box outs, wins and losses. Everything they did in practice was a matter of public record. When Dean was finished addressing the troops, the head manager would be standing behind him. He would take from the manager's hands a ranking of that day's practice performance from 1 to 15. The first five guys got to leave and shower immediately. The next five were doing suicides. The last five were doing suicides until the end of recorded time. And I loved it. I'm thinking, holy cow, this is what I would want. I would love to have an evaluation of my practice at the end of practice. So this evolved into the competitive cauldron. So we rank and record everything. Now, obviously, we don't turn it around that quickly. We turn it around by the next practice. But they're on a bulletin board 
down in our practice complex in 28 different categories. You get to see where you stand and everything. And it has transformed my culture because as you know, from having competing against us, our kids compete like there's sharks with blood in the water. And let me share this. And uh, this is absolutely genuine. Um, I think I know a couple things about soccer, but I don't think that's what separates me. I think all of us right now can get anything we need from the internet. Anyone with an IQ above a hundred uh, can be a remarkable soccer coach. You can steal drills from all over the world. You can follow coaches. You can watch them coach in the EPL, Bundesliga, La Liga. You can just watch the game and you can become an incredible soccer coach. I don't think that's what separates me. What separates me, and by the way, I stole this from Rachel Maddow. Rachel is a, a liberal color commentator on the state of the uh, politics in America. And I was listening to her one night, and she made a really interesting statement. She had brought on some expert uh, that was an expert in something. Maybe it was Fauci. Maybe it was an expert on the, the, the COVID issues. And she then told Fauci, you know, Fauci, thank you. You're an expert in this. I really appreciate you coming on. She said, and I'll never forget this. She said, I am an expert in reading comprehension. And I'm thinking to myself, what extraordinary self-awareness. And I started to start to think about this myself. And this is, I've only come to this conclusion in the last four or five months. Chris, I'm an expert in competition. Absolutely. <laughs> I am an absolute yeah. expert in competition. The best. I, I know how to win. And I, I know how to win anything. Even though Fowdy is half my age, I can beat her to death in pickleball. I know how to win. I can't even move anymore. She has Olympic gold medals <clears throat> hanging all over her boudoir at home. I can't even move and I can destroy her in a, in a game that requires some movement. I know how to win. Yeah. My expertise is competition. So I have structured my training environments <clears throat> to basically win in the way I know how to. The reason the United States full national team is still winning at the highest level isn't because we're the most technical team. Obviously, the Japanese are better, the Spaniards are better, the Italians are better. We're not the best team tactically. The Germans are better, the Dutch are better, the English are better. The athletes now are all over the uh, team when you watch the French play. What still separates the United States? We compete. I trained them in it when I was there from 1986 to 1994. It's still in the water. This yes. is what separates the United States. That's my expertise. My expertise is competition. So I train my kids to compete. And I think that's been my greatest contribution uh, to the game. And it'll be your legacy for sure. Yeah, no question. It's awesome, Anson. Um, all right, I've just got one last question for you, and then I'll let Chris finish it. Well, two questions are, producer wants to know what kind of pickleball paddle do you use? Uh, I'm not one of these guys that looks at, you know, labels. I just look at the price. <laughs> if there is an incredibly expensive paddle, I buy it. If there is one that comes out next year, that's twice as expensive. I buy that. It's like the way I arrange my golf bag. If there is a $4,000 driver out there, please tell me where I can buy it and I will buy it. <laughs> so it was, awesome. it was actually the way I played hockey. For me in hockey, because, you know, I'm an old man and I'm not really that great of a skater. My equipment is the most expensive equipment <laughs> a money can buy because I don't, as I mentioned earlier, I don't drive a, a nice car. You know, I don't go on ski vacations. I just want to win in everything I do. And so I'm going to buy the most expensive equipment 
and try to win with basically having the best equipment. That's awesome. Well, those of us, uh, those of us here in the SEC watched you, uh, you guys kind of, um, uh, kind of pick apart Tennessee over the weekend. Uh, and obviously we were able to watch you some this, this fall and your team looks really good. But my last question is tell us about, uh, your current team and, and what do you like about them and, and, and kind of how they're doing. Okay. Well, we're not a, we're not a great team. Um, basically all of my seniors signed pro contracts. So if all my seniors were here, we would have had an unbelievable team because one of my seniors signed with Manchester United, another one signed with the Arsenal, another one signed with West Ham. Those are the English girls I lost. And two of those were all Americans. Both of them are playing on the English full team now. So these are legitimate players. And so those mm-hmm. are huge losses. Then the number one player in the draft was uh, uh, Fox. We lost her for the spring because uh, she could be playing for, uh, with us, but she's not. <clears throat> and we encouraged all these kids to go, by the way. Yeah. Um, and a part of it is the philosophy and that initial question you guys asked me about playing two goalkeepers. Uh, we try to play every player we can. We have no issue if a kid decides to leave early. We encourage it. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get fired if I don't, you know, win a game or two. I think I'm secure. So I don't have to, you know, win another national championship or an ACC championship. I think I'm okay. And so uh, we lost of her and we lost my captain, uh, my six, Taylor Rado. She also signed with uh, um, uh, Louisville. Um, and I don't want to pretend that Fox deserved to be uh, drafted number one. If Katarina Macario had been in the draft, she was the best player. And I think Fox probably would have gone too. So obviously we lucked out that she signed with Lyon. So that gave us a, a number one. So yeah. we're a young team. Um, are we a good team? Yeah, we're a good team. Are we a great team? Mm, no, uh, no, no. It doesn't mean we're not working to be great. Sure. And by sure. the way, uh, Matt, we had a phenomenal practice today. Uh, so I'm excited about us. I hope we keep getting better. And we changed our lineup against Tennessee at the half. And we had changed our lineup coming into that game before that game and we're changing our lineup again so every time i see these kids play uh we're going to keep shifting our lineup so we'll have a pretty good lineup but basically the entire back four are freshmen uh the midfield are mostly you know freshmen we have one uh junior uh who's playing uh, a false nine for us right now and the other junior is uh, uh uh our left wing and another junior is my goalkeeper uh, but other than that they're all freshmen and sophomores um and again we play a deep roster so uh it's a good team but uh, it's not a great one um but yeah we can we can have a good game the tennessee game i thought we finished incredibly well that was mm-hmm. not a 7-0 game sure uh to be completely transparent that's probably a 3-1 game um and we've got a phenomenal goalkeeper uh so she's going to keep us in a lot of games and make some big saves uh but we also uh finished well and as Chris knows, holy cow, if you finish well, boy, does that solve a lot of ills. And we finished incredibly well. So yeah. uh, I don't want to pretend for a second that's a 7-0 victory over a, I thought was a very combative and good Tennessee team with, by the way, two fabulous uh, strikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, those strikers uh, were better back to goal than mine. And I'm not just saying that to, to be polite. I'm saying that because, mm-hmm. uh, as Chris knows, if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you the truth. Their two front runners were frigging legit. Mm. Uh, and that's another reason why we're also continuing to change our lineup uh, because they showed us uh, where we need to do some work. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I like my team. I love coaching, by the way. I can't wait for practice to begin. Yeah. And I think we're going to certainly, you know, give uh, any team out there a nice run. Uh, but I don't think uh, uh, this team is as good as it certainly would have been had all of those all five seniors yeah. stayed. Right. Yeah. 
Sure. So basically, we're without five starters. Yeah, yeah. Still pretty good though, Anson. Still, yeah, we're still okay. pretty good. Still look pretty good on Saturday. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah, I have one last question, Anson, and um, it's it's something uh, you know we're all going to face at some point. It's like you know, at some point, this thing, the fabulous run you've had, will come to an end, um, and it'll be time for you to step away and and, and that sort of thing. And and um, you know what what's going to be like the tell for you? Like, is it going to be sort of health? Is it going to be you know, like I've just had, it's time. Is it like, what's going to be, you know, what's going to point you in that direction? Well, um, I absolutely love my wife, Melissa, and uh, I hope she hasn't felt cheated uh, because uh, I have poured everything I've got into this game. And I think I need to pour more of my time into her and my children and my grandchildren. And so, uh, there's going to come a point where I'm going to feel very comfortable stepping back. Um, Cause by then we'll be at 5 million in my operating budget endowment. Cause I want to leave my, uh, the next coach with not just this beautiful stadium, but with an incredible budget. And I want to check all the boxes. I'm also working on trying to sell out our stadium on a consistent basis. Cause I think that's the future for us. If we want to be considered a legitimate sport, uh, we have to sell out our games. And so I, I work on that very hard. And I've got, you know, I put a lot of uh, my own money into this. Uh, so now, <clears throat> since uh, my operating budget endowment doesn't need my speeches anymore, all my speeches go into my marketing budget. <laughs> so my marketing budget is now huge. <clears throat> so we're spending a lot of money promoting our games. Um, and with this new stadium, it's we are attracting big crowds. Uh, so I certainly want to achieve that before I step back. Um, but basically it's family. Uh, but honestly, Chris, uh, <clears throat> this invitation from you, uh, meant the world to me. Uh, I have a lot of, uh, respect and affection for you as a man. And, um, I, this is the way I want to spend my time. Uh, Eddie Redwanski called me the other day and he's a rival and he started getting my insights into how to make his program better. And this is the guy I've got to beat, right? Yeah. And he said, Anson, I really appreciate you answering all those questions for me. I said, Eddie, you know, I'm going to be retiring soon. And I want you to know that you're always welcome to ask me these questions, because here's what happens as you get older. And Chris, you and I are getting there now. It's the relationships you have in the game. It's people like you that I respect and admire. And uh, being invited by you onto this um, um, just meant a lot to me. Uh, And I could tell from the things you've shared already in this podcast, uh, um, uh, that you have a genuine respect and affection for me in a way that uh, I genuinely appreciate. Because for me, it's about the people now. Uh, I think I've served the game long enough, and now I want to get as close to as many of the people that I like as possible. So I told Eddie, I said, Eddie, listen, don't has- ever hesitate to call me and ask me a question. I said, I know I've got to figure out ways to try to beat your team. But one thing that's going to be clear to me is if you get better, you're going to make me better. Because uh, you're going to force me to do some things to beat your great teams, and uh, that meant a lot to Eddie because I know he's going to keep calling me. And so, Chris, I know I certainly want to extend that to you. Uh, so let's get as well connected as as we can. This game has brought us together. Um, let's make sure it keeps us together. Anson, just wanted to thank you first of all for coming on, and and um, as well for the uh, fantastic friendship and competition over the years. And um, I always have admired what you've done and 
there's no one better. As I said, there's, there's no one better who stepped on a college campus and, and you're not done. I think you got <laughs> left in you. And uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll continue to win at a high level. And what you've done there at North Carolina is, is just fantastic. Well, Chris, you're very kind. I appreciate all those words because I know they're genuine. So good luck to you, my friend. And thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. All right, Anson. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Anson. See you, gentlemen. Take care. Okay, Matt, what, uh, what are you looking forward to in the next week here? Yeah, you know, it's getting crunch time, so a lot of really good games and um, looking forward to being able to watch some. You know, I watched uh, South Florida and Memphis this weekend. It was a great game. Uh, there's some good games this weekend, but we know we got some big ones coming up, so that's exciting. We have a game as well, playing South Alabama at home, our last home game of the season, so – Looking forward to that. It should be uh, it should be a good weekend. Weather looks great. Weather was great. It was warm, hot out there at practice today, Chris. Sure. What about you? What we do we got? Tourn- we got conference tournaments starting too, don't we? There's a number of conference tournaments that are starting yeah. this week, yeah. you know, and going through next week. So you got that going on. We got you know Brian playing for for the trophy, uh, which yep. we'll be yep. cheering him on for sure. And yeah, some big games. South yep. Carolina, Clemson. I think that's a that's a big one, huh? Really big um, game. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We talked about TCU and A&M being a, a big one. Virginia, yeah, West yeah. Virginia, part two. Uh, yeah. Duke and Vanderbilt. Yeah. Robbie playing his old school. Yeah. Yeah. Another good game. Stanford and UCLA, which usually is one of the biggest ones. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. Not quite the same this year, yeah. but it's still a pretty good game. Yeah, so good games out there. Good games out there. And and I think is the wild card weekend starting on the, the Big Ten, too. So, however that thing's working, and Brian kind of explained, it's it's hard to explain. I think the best thing to do is go pull up the Big Ten, click yeah. on soccer, you can see what they're doing. That's it's right. certainly a, a big weekend for them, their wild card weekend. All right, let's go. Top five Easter candies. All right. Okay. You like your list, Chris? You don't like your list. How you feel I do that? like my list. I do. Okay. I, I I got a feeling that that we're gonna have a lot of similars. I'm I'm feeling we're gonna have a lot of. Yeah, similars. we could, we could, we could, we could. I don't remember Nicole ever putting us together Easter basket in no. the office or Barnsey or us bringing her one. Either. Look, look, might have made me one. Look, might have made me one once. I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> I don't either. All right, so I'm going first. Go ahead. You always go first. I'm going first. My number five, the Reese's egg, Reese's peanut butter cup egg, shaped in an egg. It's a good one. That's my number that two. That's my number two. Oh, wow. I got that way okay. up there. I'm a big Reese's fan. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like the shape of it. Yeah. It's a nice, nice plus. All right. Now you're number five. Number five are peeps. Oh, no, you didn't. I, I wondered. I was hoping you were going to pick peeps. They I like are peeps. so bad. They're oh, how bad? I like peeps. What? Let They're me ask you a question. Terrible. They're marshmallow. And sugar. What is wrong with that? Yeah, no, but it's, it's something with the texture. They're uh, so bad. No, oh, they're no. disgusting. See, that, those are one of these are one of these things that people really like or yes, really don't. Really like. don't. Yeah, yeah. No, that will be interesting on the voters because yeah. where do you stand on peeps? We probably don't need to put any more out there because that will be the deciding factor. I don't who think wins. So. I don't think. Well, you're so. on peeps. You're, you're always yeah, capable of screwing it up. You got something in there that'll screw it up. <laughs> I was so hoping you'd have peeps. <laughs> so hoping. All right, my number four, yep. Cadbury eggs. Cadbury eggs. Oh, see, like, eggs. come on, like so eggs? overrated, overrated, really, Just overrated. Really? Yes. Yeah. I like them. 
Of course, yeah, because they're kind of fancy, you know, when you're Mr. Potty Potty. That's it's coming from you. All right, you're number four. Jelly beans. See, this is where you're just so naive when it comes to candy. What kind of jelly beans? What do you mean, what kind of jelly beans? They're starter. Like what jelly flavor? Beans? Is that what you're asking me? No, 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 not what flavor. What kind? What manufacturer? Oh, come on, Matt. Chris, I, a know, huge no, I know no names of manufacturers of jelly beans, nor does Brock's. anyone care who, yes, who makes jelly them. beans are the Starburst ones stink. They suck. I, yeah. I have Brock's jelly beans as my number two. Okay. How important they are. I love them. All right. Uh, All, right. Here. All yeah. right. Your number, uh, well, my number, I did four. My number three, the hollow sh- chocolate bunny. Yeah, it's a chocolate bunny and it's hollow, you know, breaks into pieces. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, yeah, Our producer doesn't like that. Yeah. I like no, that. I mean, it's got a little chocolate bunny. It, 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 I'll leave it at that. It's not. It's not a great. It's not a great one. I do like it. All right, what's your number three? So this is where I'm going to win right now. The Easter M M&M. and M. What is that? What that is? Is Easter M and M's. Just the color? Yes. Oh, stop it, Chris! You're going to win. Well, really you good. Win on that? Really? You win on that. Because you had no idea. You can't get it. You can't get a hollow chocolate bunny anytime. You only during Easter. These are Easter candies. You can only get M&Ms. Easter M and M's. You can only get Easter uh, M and M's during Easter. Weak sauce. All right, sauce. you went with that. Right. Right, the hollow bunny, was, really, Matt? Yeah, Come on. My number two was the. Uh, my number two was the jelly beans. So your mm-hmm. number two is what? The uh, Reese's. Okay, so we're down to the number one. Here we go. Here's my number one, the Hershey's Solid Chocolate Bunny. Darren, big thumbs up. Yeah. You know what? You don't like that, Chris? You know what my number one is? What? Same thing. See? So this all comes down to the peeps. Are you a peep fan or not a peep fan? That's what all comes down to. The Easter M&Ms are putting me over the top. You can't hammer me on the hollow chocolate bunny if you've got M&Ms. You can't. Seriously? I'm serious. I mean, the hollow chocolate bunny is such a disappointment. Like you bite oh, into fun. it and then you're like, oh, yeah. wait, where's, no, all it's the, great. where's all the candy? Oh, no, you chop off the ears and you're like, oh, it doesn't have a head. Ha, ha, ha. Look at it. It's missing its ears. <laughs> you can look into its skull. <laughs> there. Oh, my gosh. All right, let's move you're on. sick. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. All right. So Matt's Restaurants on the Road is what we're yes. calling this now. Yeah. I'm going to, in Auburn, there's a Italian restaurant called Vend- Venditori's. It's excellent. They've got salad. Like everybody gets the same salad. They bring it out. It's kind of like um, it's it's not Olive Garden, Chris. But the idea that it has a big salad, it's got mozzarella in it. It's great. Share the salad. And then they have these garlic rolls, bread rolls with garlic butter. They are unbelievable. But what I like most about is that meat ravioli with mozzarella melted over the top. You know, I have like a lasagna with mozzarella. These are meat raviolis. That you brought. It's a fantastic restaurant if you ever have to play in auburn go to venditori's used to be called uh provino's i think now it's venditori's it's uh it's actually i just i got one comment on this matt yeah you know when it comes to italian food i've got a little bit of experience you do Mm -hmm. Uh so of all of the places that you go and all of the italian places that you go you're telling me that this place is better than all these other places in auburn yeah well there's freaking four restaurants in auburn there's a few more than four, Chris. Okay. A few more than four. A few more than four. I mean, like I'm just saying start- that this this is one of my top Italian restaurants. 
I've ever been at. Is it? And I've been there many times. It really is. Yeah, it's is not it? good. It really is. It is. Yes. Okay. All right. I mean, I haven't been there, so I can't say it isn't. I'm just a little surprised. That's all I'm saying. It's excellent. That's. Excellent. I'm a little surprised, but okay. Well, there you I'll go. Take your That's word for I it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, food. Very argumentative today. All yeah, right. Yeah. Anything else? What about Yankees update? What are the Yankees doing? Uh, they've played three, lost two, but I mean, there's so many games. There's 159 yeah. games left. I think they'll be okay. Okay, good. Glad you're happy with them. All right, let's take this show out. What a show. What a show, huh? We had the goat on. Yeah, I, you know, Chris, great. I got to give you credit. I didn't think you could pull it off, but you were able to get him. And then he was so complimentary to you. Um, you know, easy. I felt honored just to be on the, I was felt just honored just to be on the. Yeah, he kind of forgot you were team. on there, didn't he? I don't think he knew I was on there. <laughs> I don't think he knew it was my name or that I was on there, but it's just some wacko asking the question. I but, will say it was easy to get. It was not hard to get him at all. I, it yeah. was, he, he responded quickly and he was on, you know, right away. So very gracious. So, I mean, for just, the time. You know, so gracious and, yeah. and uh, so bright. And I mean, I, I, I keep saying it, you know, just he's the best. Yeah, you listen to him for a long, long time. He's he just his views awesome, and what what a what a what a great coach. So anyway, okay. Well, listen, it's been a fun show. Appreciate everybody on it. We'll be back next Monday, better than ever. Please download us. Tell your friends this is a great episode to listen to. Um, if you haven't heard us before, um, I think you'll certainly like this one. So, College Soccer Nation, we appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you next week. College Soccer Nation is out.